Before I begin this morning with uh, the sermon, I'd like to take just a moment uh, to pray for uh, Linda's family, uh, my family as well, extended family. Uh, her grandmother passed away at 94 years of age this morning, and uh, believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, so if you would just join me in just prayer for the family before we begin. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, for Bertha, uh, Linda's grandmother, for a, uh, a life well lived. She had confidence and faith in Jesus Christ as her Savior. She spent her life uh, serving others and loving others, raising children. And with her loss this morning, reminded that uh, she is with you, Lord, in eternity and will spend eternity worshiping and glorifying you, something we uh, do not fully understand on the side of the divide. So again, thank you for her life. As we share from God's word, God's word this morning, I pray that this will be edifying to those who listen both online and in our congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is my first foray into the pulpit in my life, so uh, Steve asked me to do this last week. I was a little reluctant, and at the same time said so I really didn't have any good reason to deny coming up to speak, so... Bear with me this morning, and uh, I've chosen a passage from Ephesians chapter 1 to share this morning with you. So if you turn there, please. I think it is fair to say that in both America and throughout the world, that the human race is mired in an identity crisis. A crisis of being that has both existential, this world, and eternal, next world implications. In short, we do not know who we are where we have come from, what is our purpose, and where we are going. In contrast to this widespread agnosticism, the Bible offers man a clear blueprint, an antidote to 21st century thinking for recognizing our origins, our personal identity, our purpose, and our destination. According to the Reformation Study Bible, a product of the gleanings of conservative scholars and edited by the late R.C. Sproul. I actually have the Bible here in front of you this morning. The book of Ephesians is a letter that was written in early 60 to 62 A.D., likely corresponding to Paul's house arrest in Rome, a detention that we've just studied in Acts 28. While it is addressed to the believers of Ephesus, the capital of the Roman province of Asia Minor, which, as you probably know, is modern-day Turkey, it is possible that it was a circular letter that made its way to other churches in Asia Minor. Regardless of whether or not this is true, the book, particularly chapter 1, contains a treasure trove of biblical truths about our origins, our identity, our purpose, and our final destination. All of which fly in the face, admittedly, of the fragmented and fractured mindset of 21st century man. Verse 1, Paul calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. The first thing that I recognize there is Paul is making the admission that he's not an apostle of his own thinking, his own purpose. It's God who's called him to this. And of course that is consistent, I think, with what Scripture teaches us about our calling as Christians, our election, our predestination, uh, our justification, our sanctification, all those things that we believe as Christians in the Reformed tradition. In Philippians 2.13, it mentions, for it is God who works in you both to will 
and to work for his good pleasure. I think one thing Steve has mentioned from the pulpit is that we as Christians, Protestant Christians, understand justification is by faith, but too often we don't recognize that our sanctification is also a work of faith, a work of grace. Certainly we cooperate in the venture, but it is God who brings it to fruition. It's the, he is the one who works in us and compels us to obey. And so any obedience we see in our lives, as Paul is recognizing here, he's an apostle by the will of God, not his own thinking. Because God has put this desire in him. John 1, 12 and 13 says, But to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, and of course there's a, a metaphor here of physical birth, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So our birth as Christians, our regeneration, is a product of God's work in our lives. Uh, theologians call, use the word monergism, meaning it's a work of one to affect our regeneration, mono meaning one, ergos work, but it's synergistic, our, 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 our sanctification, because we work with God. He gives us the desire in our hearts to obey Him. And we know that's a daily battle, but nevertheless, we do have that capacity. In verse 2, uh, as Paul moves on, talking to the saints who are in Ephesus, fortunately, we as Protestant Christians believe that each person who is a believer is a saint. It's not exclusive to 422 particular people in history but it is each person who is a believer in Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. I think Steve has been fond of telling us we learn in the contrasts. And I was thinking this morning, how do we better understand this grace to you and peace from God our Father? Well, what's the opposite of grace? I think it's justice. God could give us justice. He could give us hell and damnation. But the definition of grace is the unmerited favor of God. He has extended God's unmerited favor to each of us who is a believer. And I think the peace here is not referring to a, an earthly peace, but rather a peace that's derived from fully trusting in God and knowing that, as Bertha, when his grandmother knew, there's a decimation beyond this world. This verse, I think, talks about, verses 1 and 2, both our identity in Christ and our purpose. Our purpose is to do His will. Our identity is that we're His children, first and foremost. Paul then launches into verses 3 through 14, and he mentions, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I looked up a little bit of information on this particular verse, and it was the information I looked up insists that we must distinguish between blessing God and being blessed by God. When God blesses us, He gives us things that are essential for our spiritual growth. Uh, he gives us uh, things that we, we, we need. He gives us scripture. He gives us prayer, fellowship. He, he gives us the desire to obey and follow Him. He gives us earthly blessings. And He, he gives that also to unbelievers as well. But when we bless God, we're not giving Him something to complete His being. He is already, as Sproul mentioned in his commentary, R.C. Sproul, He is complete being. He is entirely being. We are not full being. We're becoming. Uh, God is full, pure.
pure being. And so we're not adding anything to it, but instead when we're blessing God, we're giving thanks to Him for what He's doing in our lives. So when He blesses us, we're blessing Him, thanking Him for the capacity to increase obedience, increase spiritual growth. However, uh, that happens in our lives. Sometimes it happens in fits and spurts, but I'll admit that. But the fact is He is working in our lives to change us. When he says at the right hand of God the Father, he gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we're the recipients of those blessings. When I study uh, grammar or Shakespeare with kids at my school, I always tell them to be aware of two things that are vitally important. Number one is verb tense. We get messy in our culture with how we use and refer to verb tense. And also antecedents or references to when we see words like he, what is that he referring back to? And you can get lost in this passage very easily uh, if you're not careful about those two things. So in verse 4 it says, even as he chose us, speaking of God the Father here, the first person of the Trinity, he chose us, which is a simple past tense, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. There's our identity. There's our origins. Uh, we weren't like spirit beings floating around as some uh, groups would say, but rather our pre-existent, he knew us, he knew we were coming to existence since the foundation of the world, which is an incredible thought. He knew us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And of course we know that that's not going to be our practical day-to-day -day righteousness. While we're growing in our faith, it's because of our positional righteousness that Christ has provided for us by the death on the cross for us. We should be holy and blameless before him. It mentions in verse 5, in love, he, again the he referring here to the Father, the first person of the Trinity, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus. I have a sister who's adopted. She's my only sibling. I shouldn't say that I have two siblings, one who died at eight, eight days of age, but she's my only living sibling, and she's been adopted into our family. She was adopted into our family, and has never been my sister as much as uh, my biological sister whom I never met. But the point here is that God has adopted us into his family. We didn't deserve to be adopted. He did it of his own free will and his own choice. According to the purpose of his will. Once again, getting back to God's sovereign will in all things. To the praise of his glorious grace. There's the purpose. We are chosen according to his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Now the Beloved here is referring to Christ Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. And this is where the passage can get a bit confusing if we don't pay attention to what are antecedents or references of pronouns. In him, referring back to the Beloved, we have redemption through his blood. This is Christ. As I was reading uh, some different scholars about reminding us of the role of each member of the Godhead of the Trinity, and our salvation. It is the Father who elects us to salvation. It is Christ who redeems us. And as we'll learn later in the passage, it is the Holy Spirit who seals us. And I think we're fond of American evangelicalism of often referring to Jesus, our Savior. We should certainly do that. But sometimes with the neglect of the Father and the Spirit, uh, it is a Trinitarian salvation that has been given us. And the three persons of the Godhead work in coordination. They're co-equal, uh, they are co-eternal, and while they have different roles, uh, they are equal in person. 
and importance. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. I like that old word, trespasses. We don't see it a lot in Bibles anymore. It's an active violation of God's will. When we trespass, I think of, I'm not a hunter, but I know some of you are. You go out on someone's land, no trespassing. You choose to trespass, you are, in a sense, sinning against that person, right? You're violating the boundaries. And we certainly have violated the boundaries, each and every one of us. Not just in practice, but the fact that we're born sinners in Adam. It's not a popular doctrine nowadays because people say, well, that's not fair. Why am I, why am I sinful because Adam sinned? Adam and Eve sinned. The converse we might ask is, well, why is it fair that we receive the righteousness of Christ? Uh, that's his mercy, right? But we are guilty in Adam, but also guilty in practice. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us of all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. And this is the Father here. We have to be careful to transition here. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So the prepositional phrase in Christ is referring to the fact that God has done this, God the Father, through Christ. So again, if we're not careful in this passage, we can get confused with the references here. The riches of his grace. In this world, I don't think we'll ever know or fully understand the riches of the grace that God has poured upon us. We certainly see glimpses of it. We realize that we're the recipients of grace, right? Uh, we, are, uh, we are not going to spend eternity in hell apart from God. We uh, have uh, temporal benefits because of peace of mind that we have, knowing that God is working in all situations. I think we forget sometimes those with whom we interact day in and day out don't have that same peace. Then we wonder why their lives are all skewed and why things are so out of, out of order and why there's, such, uh, why there's such chaos in their lives. Not to say that we can't uh, have that, some of that in our own lives. We're still sinners saved by grace. So the phrase making known to us the mystery of his will. God is transcendent. He is beyond us certainly. He's also imminent, he's close, but he, he, he's, he's not a mysterious God that we can't understand and can't define uh, as other religions. Gods of other religions are very difficult and nebulous to define. Uh, God has given us clear direction as to who he is. He's omnipotent, he is omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing. We can know these things about him, he's compassionate, he's also a God of justice. So these things are clear about him, but he's also referring to the mystery of his will. The fact that he is, as the verse goes on to say, going to unite all things and set all things right one day, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of times to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And I don't pretend to explore all the repercussions of all of these verses. I would require a much longer sermon than I'm going to deliver this morning, but I think this is just the tip of the iceberg of what we see in this life. God is a wonderful God who has given us so much. And again, in these passages, back to what I was referring to, we see origin, we see the fact that we're not an accident, we're not a divine accident. We are, we are divine. God has intervened in our lives and given us purpose. Uh, our origin is not uncertain, nor is our destination uncertain. We know, as the scripture tells us, that we have a place in heaven for eternity with God. And that is something that no one or no thing can ever take away from us. We have identity. We are God's children. 
We are not uh, uh, products of accident. We have a purpose in this life. Our purpose is to the glory of God, do all things to the glory of God. And this passage comments extensively on those things. As I mentioned before, each person of the Godhead has a specific role. Our election from time immemorial is, is through God the Father. Uh, we are redeemed through Christ, who has displayed his love during the cross and the penalty for our sins. Now there's a, a word that theologians like to use called double imputation. And it shouldn't be a scary word to us. It simply means this. Just as Adam's sin has been imputed to us, has been given to us, we don't think we deserve it, but we, 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 we were, that is imputed to us. And of course, we practice unrighteousness as well. Likewise, uh, while that has been imputed to us, Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us as well. It's undeserved. We don't deserve that righteousness. And yet it is given us by God's free grace. So it is, uh, as the reformer said, double imputation. And it's a mysterious thing. Uh, it has been critiqued and criticized by people under denominations, saying that it will lead to uh, antinomianism, life without only God's laws. And I think that's the furthest thing from the truth, because if we're really redeemed people, we will have a desire increasingly to want to obey God. Not because it earns us status with Him, but because it's just simply an outpouring of who we are. Uh, I'm thinking of Ephesians 2, 9 and 10. 8, 9, and 10, if you'd like to turn there just for a second. I think I'm on the red light here. Uh, in that verse, it mentions, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. And here it's referring to the, the faith itself as a gift. It is a gift of God. The antecedent for it is the faith. Okay? Some have said it's grace. It's, I believe it's faith. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And of course, that corollary passage to that is if you go to the book of Philippians, you will find once again the verse that I alluded to earlier, which uh, says the following, for Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you, both to will, even to will, and to work for his good pleasure. Let us not forget when we have the desire to obey God and work for his good pleasure. It's not because of some mindset we've conjured up, but it's because we are, our, our, our spirits are working in concert with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working together to change us. And no one is kidding anyone. It's a difficult thing for change to occur in our lives. We, we, we struggle with stubborn uh, sins that adhere to us to the day we die, I think. Uh, but we continue asking God to forgive us of those and help us to overcome those sins. But the truth is He is working in our lives if we're truly redeemed people. Turning back to Ephesians, uh, I want to go to verse 11 at this point. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. 
And uh, I, th I think the importance here is when it says we have obtained, this is a present perfect form of the verb. It's something in the present that has a conclusion to it. We already have the inheritance. It's not something to be taken from us. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, again, according to the counsel of his will, God. So that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, and I think that previous passage is referring primarily to the Father, so that we were the first to hope in Christ, the second person of the Trinity, might be to the praise of his glory. And I think the, uh, his glory here would be the Father. Although certainly we could make an argument that we are giving praise to all three persons of the Trinity when we obey. So I think this is an extremely rich passage that often gets overlooked. Uh, we as people in the Reformed tradition sometimes are scared to talk about this because we feel we may offend people. But I think the truth is, is that if we really believe what Scripture says about our election, our predestination, our adoption, our justification, our sanctification, and eventual glorification, we can't neglect it. We neglect it to our, uh, I, I think, I think it's part of why our culture, our church culture today in America, is not as rich as it should be because we've denied or we've overlooked many of these doctrines that seem to be, seem to be controversial to some people. And we recognize they are going to be, it is going to separate people, it is going to separate brethren to some degree who are going to disagree. But we need to be honest in what, we, what it is we believe. In verse 13 is one of my favorite verses. Uh, the Holy Spirit, I think, in our culture is vastly misunderstood. We tend to see the gifts of uh, charismata, the charismatic gifts. Uh, again, you may, I don't know where you stand on that. Uh, I think there's a clear biblical declaration on those gifts. But the point being that, that the work of the Holy Spirit often is overlooked, even by Pentecostals and charismatics who sometimes say, People want to talk about the gifts of tongues, etc., etc., but where is holiness? Where is uh, the pursuit of God? I've actually heard people from that tradition say that, that this has been overlooked. Let's look at what it says about the Holy Spirit, the third person, or sometimes called the silent person of the Trinity. In him you were also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, which is a, a positive referring back to the word of truth, it's the gospel of our salvation, and believed in him, simple past tense, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who, present tense, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory, the it referring to our inheritance. And again, our identity here, our identity is in God, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who inhabits us and changes us, seals us. Now what does sealing mean? My understanding is, is that kings in olden times would dip their ring in wax and, and apply that to a missive that would be sent by uh, someone carrying mail, using mail, and you opened that, you could open it because it was indicating it was the king who had put his seal on it, indicating its authenticity. So the Holy Spirit is given us because it's a seal for us. I think it also speaks to the fact that uh, we believe in the perseverance of the saints. We believe that true believers will uh, persevere, not because of our own power, but because God preserves us to the end. I know there's a very popular doctrine nowadays called uh, uh, eternal security. I, and while I understand what people are saying, I think it is not exactly what is taught by perseverance of the saints. It's not, I, I named Christ one time and therefore I'm saved forever. And there's no change in my life 
but rather perseverance is I examine my life. I see, is God working in my life? If I have truly believed and I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, there will be real change in my life. Again, it may come in fits and spurts, but is there change? Is there lasting change? So we're given that seal of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of strong language. Not, we hope, and again, we don't even use the word hope correctly in our culture. We, we, we devalue that term. We wish, perhaps, is the term that we use here. We don't wish, but it's a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. I think that's referring to glorification. One day in glory, we will no longer be, um, we'll no longer be, uh, encumbered by sin, the uh, tendency, the desire to want to do things that are contrary to God's will. I can't imagine what that must be like, but I know that Linda's grandmother is experiencing that today, even now, uh, mere hours after her death. And I've had a couple of other friends in the Christian community who have lost their lives in the last two weeks, uh, dear friends. And I've asked myself, candidly, you know, what are they experiencing now? I don't know. God has said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. But I do think it is, even in the last couple of weeks, has impacted my perspective in making me think about why am I here? I know the right answers, and I believe the right answers. I truly believe that. But it has made me think deeper about that. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is my identity? What is my destination? And I think we need to think daily about those things and how they impact the decisions we make what we do with our time, whom we support with our money, uh, to whom we give ear. There's a young man who likes to call me frequently. I'm not name but Linda knows who it is. And he'll call sometimes at, the, I'll say the darndest times, you know, I just come home from work, I'm tired, it's 7.30, <coughs> 7 o'clock, hi Tom, and it's like, okay, we'll name him again. But I noticed by the end of the call, Hearing him and all of his struggles actually builds me in my faith because I'm forced to give him biblical answers to what he's asking. And I hope that I do that accurately. Sometimes it's uh, not what I'd like to do at the time. Sometimes it comes later at night, the calls come. Sometimes I don't answer. But uh, he continues calling. And I've thought to myself many times, it's not necessarily a ministry that I would choose myself, but God has put him into my life to give him guidance and he to give me encouragement actually. So I don't think it's a convenient thing being a Christian necessarily. It is, uh, is inconveniencing ourselves because God wants to inconvenience us and change us. And all of it is to the praise of his glory. Uh, that is ultimately why we are here. It's not for our personal comfort. It's not so that we can realize the American dream. It's not so that we can have a great 401. Uh, it's not so that we can have the respect and adulation of other people, but it's because we are doing things to the praise of His glory. And that's ultimately delayed gratification because we may not experience all that in this life. No, well, did we do that correctly? It's when we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And that is not going to be in this side of eternity. Although we may anticipate that. So I say all this to remind us that uh, our salvation is, has been planned from time past far, far before we were even came into existence. God knew we would come into existence, had chosen us before the foundations of the world, 
Our identity is solidly founded in who we belong to in God. Our purpose is to obey and to conform our lives to His purpose for our lives, which is painful at times, and reminds us that even our prayers sometimes are not always the prayers we should be praying. Should not necessarily be God, please give me this, this, and this, but God, use this circumstance or this painful situation to uh, help me fulfill your purpose in my life. And then finally, our destination in heaven one day in glory, when we will, as I mentioned earlier, as when this grandmother birth is experiencing it right now, uh, no eye has seen nor ear has heard what God has planned for those who love him. And even that word, those who love him, reminds us we don't love him because it comes from our own natural capacity, but it's because he first loved us. And as the verse, again, I keep going back to this verse in Philippians, reminds us, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, and I might add even to love him, to whatever degree we love him. Let's pray. Father, uh, I, I trust that I've done no damage to this passage this morning as I've read it and tried to glean from it some things that we can apply to our lives, remind us of who we are from whence we have come, where we are heading, and what our purpose is. Rescue us from ourselves, because too often it isn't just Satan, but it's ourselves. It isn't others, it isn't the world, it's ourselves. We step into the breach and try to make those things important or not. Work in our lives to change us, remind us of who we are in Jesus Christ. And that our salvation is a fully Trinitarian salvation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We give praise to each person of the Godhead this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah.